This is a warning, sugar. You're about to listen to the masters of the obvious. But I'm going to keep it real with you, my sweet babies. These mamas ain't masters of shit. It's just two stone-cold foxes and their feminist agenda. But if you dig sexy things like interviews down by the fireplace, talking nerdy and little double entendre, keep on keeping on, because they're about to lay it on you. Right on. And welcome to the 19th episode of Masters of the Obvious. I'm Kirsten Bozio. And I'm Cynthia Rose. On this episode, we have Max Bemis on to talk about his band Say Anything, his work in comics, and his family life. And Kirsten and I discuss nerd news, the Disney Plus Investor Day announcements, the Mandalorian recap, and new comic releases. But first we'd like to remind you to go to mastersoftheobvious.com. We have a ton of merch for sale. And if you'd like to support this pod by taking advantage of free shipping in the U.S., well, we really appreciate you. And hey, you wouldn't believe what I can do with a lightsaber. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. And you can check out our shop and show your support at mastersoftheobvious.com. Well, it's been a little over a week since we last talked, huh? Yeah, I I, I try not to speak to you um, until <laughs> I have to. <laughs> until I'm contractually obligated to this on this podcast. This is a relationship. <laughs> don't try and make it something else. Don't make it weird. <laughs> I don't need HR on my ass. <laughs> so what have you been up to? Oh, my God. Um... I don't know why I was so breathless with that. I feel like that's appropriate, though, <laughs> for your week. Well, let's start off light. I started watching the show on HBO Max, How To with John Wilson. Yes. What a weird romp that is. So it's supposed to be like a documentary or? Yeah. And he just takes you through different things. I only watched one episode is How To. I think it's How To Do Small Talk. And the second episode that I haven't started yet is how to put up scaffolding, I think, is the next one. <laughs> when you told me about it, I watched the trailer and I'm like, something feels very Nathan for you about this. And then I found out duh, Nathan for you was a producer on it. It's yeah, you called it. It was pretty hilarious. Kind of have ESP. OK. Like extra sensorial penile. <laughs> something <laughs> but then you had a kind of rough last couple of days huh well i did get to read two books which i never get to do i read uh trixie and katia's guide to modern womanhood yeah and carrie fisher's the princess diarist Ooh, that's a good mix of strong powerful women it was fun and i got to listen to a lot of podcasts i just I did the full gamut. It was a lot of fun. I got to do this because I made a very short round trip to California and back to Hawaii. Didn't even bother saying hi. No, because again, I don't speak to you unless I'm, I have to. <laughs> God, airports are nuts right now. Flying is nuts. It's scary. But the scariest part, if I'm going to tell an anecdote about my 
my very short trip was that I, on the way back to Hawaii, of course, I fucking sat next to the hippie from hell. And the whole time I'm like reading and she left me alone for the most part, but I could tell she was dying to talk to me. So as soon as like we were starting to get closer to Maui, I think the Maui like hippie shit kicked in and she was like, oh, hey, are you from Maui? I it's can like, tell. It's like poppers for hippies. Like, fuck. Like, are you Hawaiian going air. home? I don't, you don't seem like a tourist. I'm like, yeah, I'm going home. Well, let me tell you why I'm going to Maui. Let me tell you my whole life story. Let me tell you how much my kids don't like me. Let me, t- <laughs> oh. let me tell you how I cured myself from cancer and how I'm a shaman now. And I'm going to Hawaii because I made myself a drum out of a bear and I'm going to fucking play it up on Our- Mount Bear. Yeah. And I'm going to play it on top of Haleakala Mountain. My <laughs> dumbass would have just egged her on the entire time. We would have exchanged Dude, phone numbers. I'm wearing three masks <laughs> and a fucking face shield. And this bitch told me she cured herself of cancer. And I'm like, well, I don't think you take very anything very seriously. Then do you stay the fuck away from me? She tried to high five me twice and got mad because I wouldn't touch her. <laughs> You're like a billboard for science. Well, I finally finished Lovecraft Country. It was a lot like that woman, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what reminded me of it. Something about white people, um, how terrible they are. Love that I didn't have to tell you that she was white. You just knew. <laughs> oh, no. I've heard enough. Thank you. Check, please. Um, great show. I think it suffers from the J.J. Abrams syndrome. Um, I think he produced it or at least was part of the creative team. It was mostly Jordan Peele, of course, but mm-hmm. it just didn't end quite right. Really? Yeah. I don't think that fucker knows how to end things. And I know this because I also watched Lost. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Um, But no, overall, amazing show. And I liked the last episode up until the last couple of minutes, which weren't bad, just not the punctuation that I was looking for on that. You know, serious. Okay. Um, let's just hop into it. Let's do it. I want to bring up the fact that we did a fan cast of the live action reboot of the Adams Family. Yes. We were pretty cool about We had some funny suggestions, but our serious ones had people like Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal in the lead role of Gomez. But of course, Tim Burton had to come out and say that he's not going to make it without Johnny Depp. Surprise! He wants to whitewash something. Surprise! And it's a history of it, too. I think he was on record in 2016 saying that, like, one of his favorites as a kid was the Brady Bunch. And he got really annoyed when it got political and they tried to add people of color into it. Like his defense of his casting was really bizarre. And uh, a really lovely writer made a really good point about how there's nothing wrong with casting white people in a role. But when the role has nothing to do with their ethnicity and you're still choosing to cast only white people, that's a problem. Or if the role has is a person of color and you're insisting upon a white person playing that person, like that Gomez. role, there's yeah. a problem there. Sorry. And we've talked uh, ad nauseum about the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case. I think we're both in, you know, agree that they're not great 
people, either of them. But it is disgusting seeing that, you know, the woman yet again is the one getting thrown under the bus. Oh, there's so. there's like two million signatures on a petition to get Amber Heard off of Aquaman. But Johnny Depp's going to get the Adams family. And it's just I don't I, I'm not defending Amber Heard. I won't. I just straight mm-hmm. up won't. But like, you gotta see the difference here. It's very plain to see. It, it seems clear as day to me. And I just can't relate to anyone not seeing the fault in their faves. The thing is, is that like, I get it. You're a Johnny Depp fan. You know what? No one was a bigger Tim Burton fan than me. But these people are not above criticism. They're not. And honestly, it's healthy and good for the community to criticize people because then they grow from it. It's their response to it that matters. And it hasn't been a good one. (laughs) Yeah, people don't want to grow. They just want their same shit. Give me my shit. Give me my Johnny Depp. Give me my Tim Burton. And I suppose in the same vein of just terrible casting, um, the deaf community is protesting the casting of a hearing actor, Henry Zaga, playing the deaf mute character, Nick Andros in the series, The Stand. I thought we were past this, you know? I don't, there's so many, you know, disabled actors out there who are really talented that just aren't being cast in the roles that they can play. One of the funnier news to come out recently was the KFC fanfic turned lifetime motion picture. I love it. A recipe for seduction. So that premiered on the 13th. And a lot of my friends were really excited about it, but it wasn't as terrible as it could have been. And that's a bummer. First of all, it was only 16 minutes long. I kind of love that, though. I don't want more, I don't want more than that from something like this. I don't necessarily want more than that. It doesn't have to last as long as the KFC log that you're going to put on while you're watching. Oh, my Yule log, which only I like. My I've been bothering my husband to get me the the seasoned KFC Yule log to burn in our fireplace, and he only just last year got it for me, and it stunk up the entire house. <laughs> I mean, it basically was like. A bouillon cube on speed. I love it. And I hope that everyone burned one while they watch this. It just it, like our clothes stunk afterwards. I was alive. I have never felt more alive in my life. And my entire family <laughs> wanted to kill me. Um, and it's not like I'm a KFC mega fan, but like if the trailer basically gave you everything in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bummer. Like, why even tune into that? So I don't know. I disagree. I haven't seen it. So I I will preface it with that. But why would you watch a trailer for that? Why would why would that would be that above anything else you would want to go into blind? I would think, you know, I like to get hyped up. Like you're, you're, You're pretending like you don't watch trailers and you know, behind the scenes stuff. Of course I do, but not for something like this. I need a little bit of like entertainment foreplay, you know? The Mary Sue ended their article about it, which I mean, shouts to Mary Sue. If you don't think we don't read the Mary Sue, you're an idiot because hi, they're doing an excellent job with inclusive news. But she said that this isn't the weirdness that we collectively foresaw, but I have an edit to make. This isn't the weirdness that we collectively force law. Oh, 
Hire me, Mary Sue. <laughs> um, but in good news, the world isn't complete trash. And do you want to know why, Cynthia? Why? Chris Pine, arguably the best Chris, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has signed on to star in a live action Dungeons & Dragons movie. Yep. This is this is your bag. I think this has made him the best Chris for you. Oh, it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's gone through a lot of changes in the last couple of years. Of course, legal battles. There's with the with a IP like that. There's always some kind of drama. But um, it's supposed to be written and directed by the team behind Spider Man Homecoming and. Game Night? Did you ever see Game Night? I did. Um, Why was that so good? It had no business being so good. I mean, I'm I'm on board. I mean, even if it's terrible, I'm on board. Honestly, don't listen to me. <laughs> I like things just because it doesn't take much to please me. But let's talk about the worst Chris. And in worst Chris news. <laughs> yeah. And in worst Chris news, Marvel has confirmed that Star-Lord is bisexual. Now, that's not bad news let me let me say that but it is related to one chris pratt but anyway in the guardians of the galaxy number nine i shall make you star lord the character is shown to be in a polyamorous relationship with a man and a woman which please make this mcu canon please make peter quill aka chris pratt a gay man which i feel like they need to give that to us after all this hubbub about uh, Chris Pratt being they such a douche. give that to us because KFC did us dirty. <laughs> and the only way that I can go on is to make a homophobe gay. <laughs> that's that's the future liberals want. MCU, pick up the slack from KFC. You both have three letters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the two of you all are related, but there's got to be something going on there. Warner Brothers, of course, not too long ago, announced that their entire slate would stream on HBO Max. Disney Plus was like, hold my beer (laughs) because we got, you know, investor season on our hands. And they just announced how many fucking shows. It was the Disney dump. They just fucking went for it. It was. I'm they, coining it. It's the Disney dump. It's the Staten Island of announcements. <laughs> um, what I'm most excited about, well, there's a lot of things, but Oof. let's hit with Marvel first since we're okay. on the subject. Okay. Um, Ironheart. Okay. Riri Williams. Arguably smarter than Tony Stark. Fun. The suit that she made was just so advanced. And, you know, she went to MIT as a 16-year-old. It's just such an impact, you know, and an African-American young girl in STEM, like, what's not to like? Um, She's going to be played by Dominique Thorne, which looks like excellent casting. Also on the slate is WandaVision. Of course, we're very excited for that. That's the next to premiere, followed by The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, which... Okay, whatever. whatever. But we did you watch all the trailers? Did you watch the new WandaVision trailer? I did. Yeah. We're getting they can't I how could they possibly go wrong with this? Don't don't ask that. Don't ask that. Okay. I, I take that back. KFC told me that things can go wrong if they taught me anything. But 
Monica Rambeau. That was for sure Monica Rambeau, right? I want it to be. I'm okay. gonna even if it's not, I'm gonna tell everyone. I'm gonna tell my kids that was Monica <laughs> Rambeau. Loki, which oh that trailer. Loki, high key, very excited. Oh my god, that trailer did it for me. I was really confused by them announcing a what if series. Yeah. Are you familiar with what if? Uh Yes, more so than someone like my husband who watched the trailer with me and was just like, what the fuck was that? He's like, (laughs) what if I don't understand what just happened? (laughs) I mean, it's basically fan fiction. Like it was a series of comic books and I think they still make them, but I really enjoy them. Like, what if Peter Parker never married Mary Jane? What if um, Loki wielded the hammer or what if i mean there's a lot like what if um the dark phoenix killed all the x-men and then we also got she hulk of course we know about that that's really excited what you might not know is that i will be playing she hulk (laughs) in my party city green makeup moon knight which hi there's our tie-in right there. Max Bemis most famously wrote Moon Knight. Of course, um, that was after the Jeff Lemire run and Warren Ellis, cough, cough. He's actually really excited about it. I was like kind of worried to ask about it because you don't always know, you know, what the comics writers have to do with the actual shows. But as we found out with Kelly Sudaconic, she was very involved with the production of Captain Marvel. So I'm hoping that they are, you know, listening to the creators behind it. Secret Invasion, there's Armor Wars. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I know what it's about, but Armor Wars, okay. And then James Gunn is on board, of course, with the Gardens of the Galaxy holiday special and a little series of shorts, right? Called I Am Groot. Adorbs. I love it. The internet was lit aflame. I mean, what is in it? (laughs) (laughs) But particularly by some audio that was surfaced of Tom Cruise just losing it on the crew of Mission Impossible 7. First of all, Mission Impossible 7. Obviously, these missions aren't that impossible. (laughs) Who's thinking these missions are still impossible? At this point, there should be Mission Possibles. It seems like there's less of those. Mission Probable? (laughs) (laughs) But I guess some crew weren't following COVID protocols. And this leaves me in a really awkward spot because I am not a fan (laughs) of Tom Cruise. Me neither. I will avoid a movie just because Tom Cruise is in it. I would also berate people. I mean, I do berate people for not following COVID protocols. I yelled at somebody on the fucking airplane. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You're short. You're angry. I'm talking to me or Tom Cruise. Yeah, you and Tom Cruise. (laughs) I jump on couches. But yeah, it's just bizarre to me too because you know, as a Scientologist, I distinctly remember him like getting on to Brooke Shields about taking antidepressants, which are science. And then to be so, you know, pro-science about COVID kind of does a number on my brain. I mean, he's an old man. He doesn't want to die. Or he just likes yelling at people. That's Which I can't, I can't fault him for that. It is fun. I can't, but when you're in that position of power, it's kind of, it's uncouth. 
No, he shouldn't have done it. But at the same time, like if people weren't following COVID protocols on a movie set, oh my God, I would lose my fucking shit. And I'm sure you have a more educated opinion about this being on more sets than I have. But I just feel weird in general about any productions happening. Yeah, I'm not excited about it happening. But the bigger productions, I'm sure, have multiple COVID uh protocol people on set making sure that everyone's following more so than say like smaller productions that maybe try and cut corners something like mission impossible seven has people dedicated on set to make sure as much as they can that everyone's staying apart from each other as much as they can and but the thing yeah i get it isn't the real mission impossible is having a production during a pandemic (laughs) yes but having said that I'm sure tensions are a little high if people are being kind of lax about it and stupid. That's a lot of people to fucking be uh, be aware of and be wary of. Like, And it falls on him for the most part. Well, He's also, there's, if you're the star... Big, there, tiny man on campus. <laughs> yeah, if you're the star, you really do feel empowered to... Um, speak your mind on set i got i've I've gotten my ass handed to me a few times by the star and it's just it's just the way it is you know i just I've don't like this, this can't be an isolated case of him being on this crazy ego trip either no and i'm saying that it's not just him i say that any most of the time stars will will let loose on the crew at any given time i have been yelled Such at a bummer yeah so i just feel conflicted i guess is the moral of this news bit <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you never want to side with tom cruise especially you know letting loose on people in a you know lower position of power but you know if you're, acting you're putting fool, people's health at risk i get that in sad star wars news i believe the in the last episode we talked about the original um darth vader the man who played darth vader David Prowse. Now we've got uh, the original Boba Fett just passed away. Yeah, age of 75. But yeah, yet another loss in the Star Wars fandom and it hits pretty hard. It's sad, but we also got a lot of amazing Star Wars news. We do. And this is, you know, falling right on the tails of all our marvel releases that we just talked about star it's part wars of the disney dump <laughs> part of the disney dump trademark <laughs> um star wars and door looks like a good time you know what's funny is i think it looks great but i'm seeing a lot of star wars fans being like and in news of the uh, you know the series that nobody asked for like uh, okay but we didn't really get a trailer trailer for it we got like diego luna talking about it yeah behind the scenes type thing we're really gonna trash it this early on like calm the fuck down star wars fans i swear to god that fandom more than any other is the most confusing to me because how can you call yourself a fan when you only like three movies out of how many movies and shows i don't i don't understand it i am one of the biggest Star Wars fans that I know. And for me, give me more. Give me more. Give me all of it. Like, yeah. I don't just keep piling it on. Like, good, bad, ugly, and fucking keep giving me more Star Wars universe. Also, I love Diego Luna. Like, how fucking dare you? Don't you come for Diego? <laughs> more Diego Luna. More. Just give me more Star Wars. Fuck off. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, and we got. 
Ahsoka. Really pumped for that. I don't really have a lot to say about it. I just wanted to say it. First of all, I wanted to pronounce it correctly. since That was (laughs) a trend in a past episode that I kept saying it wrong. But I'm congratulations, by the way. You did a very good job. (laughs) I'm a Stoka for a Soka. Rosario Dawson, of course, reprising her role. Um, We also have got Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, it's not called Kenobi. It is called Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, what other Kenobi do we know? Well, it could be Ben Kenobi. It could be old man Ben Kenobi. Like, but, but we, it's still we know the we're same getting person. But we know we're getting Obi Wan. We're gonna get. Oh, we're getting so much more. Hayden Christensen is gonna Come be back, on. but as Darth Vader. Shut the fuck up! So excited for this. The, one of the most beautiful things about Star Wars is all the redemption arcs, and we see that within the movies with Darth Vader and Kylo Ren. But then we also see it as time goes by with characters and people's opinions on it. Like the fact that Ahsoka was hated as a character when she debuted. And then we see people flipping the fuck out when she debuted in The Mandalorian. And I remember people still to this day hating Hayden Christensen. But people are like stoked about him coming back. Yeah, nostalgia is a powerful thing. We see it with Spider-Man 3, too. Like, I remember people hating Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And everyone's like, oh, my God, they're coming back. I'm like, mm-mm. I remember. Fucking remember it like the Alamo. How dare you? Which, I guess, since he's playing Darth Vader and not specifically Anakin, is James Earl Jones doing the voice? We don't know. We don't know anything we don't know if they're going to have any scenes together or if they're going to be apart we don't know anything about this and it's so exciting more darth vader please don't you remember hayden christian saying like how excited he was to actually get in the darth vader suit no oh yeah and that's the only moment he has and it's the cringiest what a bummer i'm excited that it gets to go in that i like that you know I'm just straight up excited. Darth Vader and Obi-Wan are two of my favorite characters in the Star Wars universe. Here's the deal, though. Are they going to actually intersect and be in the same room in this show? Because I feel like it would take away from the moment where they, you know, reunite in the original trilogy. I doubt it. Yeah. It's probably just seeing simultaneously what's happening and, you know, like in, vignettes in the, or whatever. In the Star Wars universe as a whole and what's happening between them. Because, I mean, they are connected. So, yeah. The Bad Batch trailer. Yeah. Was pretty rad. The Rat Batch. But I'm most excited to see Fennec. Yes. Um, of course, Ming-Na Wen uh, will voice the character who, you know, obviously plays the live action version and oh, my daddy's ready. Yes, I love her so much. I'm so happy to see her doing more things because, oh my God, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm, she's so she's fucking good now. underutilized, isn't she, just in general in Hollywood? Not in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She is so well, not damn good. Not that, but I just mean like... Oh yeah, in general. She's the best. She's so great. Are we really not going to exploit this beautiful woman's talents that is i mean such a badass like she's such a fucking badass she was born to play badass lando is another show that's going to hit disney plus is that gonna have daniel glover in it god i hope so 
It better. More capes. I just want more capes. More Darth Vader capes, more Lando capes. I just want the capes. And we can't not talk about, as our final title, um, Rogue Squadron. Of course, the writer-director is Patty Jenkins. Like, so we're getting a Patty Jenkins Star Wars, and we're getting a Taika Star Wars. And a beautiful bow on this um, you know, HBO Max versus Disney Plus feud is we have the great cross, you know, the great line crosser, Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how you know you're badass when you're like, oh, is there news? Yeah, it's about me. We can't have a news segment without nerding about our favorite thing, The Mandalorian. Season two, episode seven, The Believer. Yes. I just want to talk about what we didn't get in the episode before we talk about it. Let's do that afterwards. No. (laughs) Is this how the pod ends? Yes. I just said that we were a good pair and you're going to do this to me? Yeah. All right. (laughs) Fine. Um, No Grogu. Of course, that's your biggest criticism. We got no fucking baby Yoda in this episode. We got no pivotal plot points. We got no origin stories. It didn't we got, hit the cute quota. We got no I- iconic crossover characters. We got none of those things. We got no fan service, is what you're saying. We did see Din helmetless, and he did it for his baby boy. Here's the real question about that. How the fuck does he keep that mustache trimmed? Like, when does he do that? You know, we don't know how mustaches grow in space. It's <laughs> scientific matter. We don't know. Uh, we don't know if he's force sensitive. He could be using the force to, to, to groom. Or Grogu is. We don't know. Like, Dad, you need a little trim. <laughs> yeah, I'm obviously excited that we got to see Pedro's face. Yes. And a lot of it. All right. All right. So go ahead. Give me your recap. Okay. Because I have a recap too, but I'll let you, you do you do it. I you did all the news. Go ahead and do the recap too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought this was a communist podcast, but I guess it's a dictatorship. Yeah, in this episode we had the Dadalorian going to Morax so that <laughs> God damn it. Mayfield. Mayfield of all people. Bill Burr. So excited to see him back. No, I'm fucking not. But yeah. And that <sighs> bitch said he wasn't coming back for season two. So not only is he is he a bad comedian, but he's also a fucking liar. He's a liar. But to, I mean, a lot of actors do say that, too. They throw the stank off their trail. Oh, is that yeah. The, is that the, <laughs> the I just, phrase, the stank off? I hate to say it. You know, he grew on me this episode. He had the most iconic lines in the the episode. And it was the writing more than anything. And I'll give it to him. He delivered things pretty well. Do I like the person doing it? No. But I will yield. Okay. When I am wrong. Um, So they had to get him out because he was an ex-Imperial sharpshooter. And they, you know, scoop him up because he knows the coordinates to Moff Gideon's cruiser. Um, no, he doesn't. He can get the coordinates well, to he Moff. can get them. See, he's not that hot shit. He doesn't already <laughs> know them. But of course, because it's the fucking Mandalorian, he has to take them on a side quest. We get to this planet. We get to this empire. It's not really a base. It's like a, a, like a mining facility. Mm-hmm. 
And that's when we get to see our lovely Pedro's face because he had to take off his helmet to do a face scan. This is interesting. And this is where I think that the title, The Believer, kind of yeah. ties into it. A couple episodes back in the heiress, we had Bo-Katan telling Din that he's a part of a really extremist faction of the Mandalorians that can't take off their helmets. Right. You know, that's not really the Mandalorian way. And it's it's just, it's a little wacky. And I think that he started to take that to heart. I think it's a combination of that and just his love for Grogu and his passion to get him back to, he's like, he's breaking all the rules for yeah. his baby boy. For his baby boy. For Wouldn't his baby for boy. that little fucking green fucker, I would. <laughs> <laughs> what wouldn't I do? Our boy, Bill Burr. I need to stop saying our boy and yeah. our girl because we had a listener think that I was actually a Gina Carano fan. And yeah, I lay awake at night thinking about that. Well, yeah, and- but can we- oh, God, sorry. Yeah. The thing about Bill Burr being in this episode is that he got to be the first person to see Mando's face. Anyway, his character is a fucking hothead, shoots his former officer, and they have to make this fucking harrowing escape. And they do it because Fennec and Cardoon are badasses. We find out that Mayfield was an Empire trooper, right? Yeah, he was a sharpshooter. But his former boss really delivered a menacing line right before he got shot, right? He said... You see, boys, everyone thinks they want freedom. But what they really want is order. When they realize that, they're going to welcome us back with open arms to the Empire. And it, it really, the way that they set it up, though, was interesting because when Bill Burr was talking to Mando, he was kind of giving this earlier on in the episode, he was kind of giving the speech where it was like, you know, good guy, bad guy. It's all the same. People are getting killed. Like war is war. Like blah, 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 blah. Well, when you're not on either side. It doesn't really fucking and, matter. You know, even your morals or your beliefs are fluid when it comes to your uh, needs. And you know what I mean? Like you're willing to, t- you're willing to take off your mask if it's for your baby boy. Like, you know what I mean? Like everybody, you know, there, there are no absolutes, blah, blah, blah. So you're like, Oh, is this guy going to fucking turn on him and fucking be okay with the empire? Like what's going yeah, on? Weren't you getting like Benicio del Toro's Big character and last Jedi vibes? Big time. And yeah. we got the fucking opposite of that. Well, the thing is, is that both characters aren't wrong. Like there was no lies from either of those characters. Obviously, their journey was different. Benicio, you know, took advantage and did the wrong thing. And Mayfield did the right thing. <laughs> Why do you have to make me like Bill Burr? Mayfield also had some PTSD from war. And, you know, yeah. this guy was hitting that over and over and over again. And he fucking just lost it on him. Yeah, absolutely. But that moment when they make it back to the mining facility with the cargo and the stormtroopers show up and start blasting away the pirates. And I'm all like, wow, never thought I'd be happy to see stormtroopers. Mere seconds, mere seconds before his character said that. It was weird to see stormtroopers cheering for the success of our heroes. The weird thing thing is that I feel like the sequels did this and then this episode did this where we actually see the human side of stormtroopers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
that like at the end of the day, they're, you know, workers, they're soldiers, soldiers, they're whatever. And it doesn't necessarily make them bad people, but it doesn't make them good people either. Right. You want to hear my two favorite lines from this episode? They were Bill Burr lines. Sorry. (sighs) Yes. Uh, The first one is, you know, for a second, I thought you were this other guy. Yeah, that was a good one. They really yeah. gave him all the good ones. Oh, they did. The other one was, uh, what would they say on Mandalore? <laughs> so good. Oh, how jarring was it to see Din in that Stormtrooper outfit? I loved it. I loved the tension of the fight because, A, that Stormtrooper armor is not the same as Beskar. And B, mm-hmm. I kept thinking, oh, is the helmet going to fly off? Oh, is the helmet going to fly off? Like, I just kept thinking, like, that that's how it was going to happen. Because it, w- it was obvious it was going to happen. Right. This episode also created my favorite thing that's currently on the internet. And What's that, that is the Facebook page. That shore trooper who just wanted to eat his lunch core. <laughs> What do you in the background of that episode was a shore trooper with his like lunch tray. Just my, he's like so excited. He probably paid a little extra for a fruit cup. <laughs> he was going to treat himself that day. And then they just started blasting. Oh, God, that's amazing. I totally miss that. I'm so happy that I get to watch it again and see that. He's, he's literally just standing there, just <laughs> minding his own goddamn business with a lunch tray and a little like canteen cup. And he's just like, sorry, did I miss something? <laughs> what? He's on his fucking break. God damn it. Oh, fuck. That's good. So let's get into some comic books. You got to do your line. God damn. Why? <laughs> Because now it's a thing. All right. Well, let's give the people what they paid for, which isn't, they didn't pay for anything, but I mean, here it is. <laughs> Comics. All right. We've got Black Cat number one. We only find them when they're dead. Number four, seven to eternity. Number 15, Catwoman. Number 28. Oh, my favorite. Big Girls, number five. Decorum, number six. The Magnificent Miss Marvel, number 17. Amethyst, number six. Ugh. Saw the illustrator post about this. She was so excited. There's nothing purer than seeing creators just, just be so genuine about what they make. I love it. The Expanse, number one. This is, of course, based off of the, the sci-fi show. That looks like an interesting read. King Tank Girl, number three. Stargazer, number four. And I can't not mention an upcoming comic book that I really hope everyone gets next week. Wonder Woman, number 769. And that's the last of the Mariko Tamakai run. Um, She did this book with Stephen Pugh, who also worked on the Harley Quinn Breaking Glass graphic novel that I will not shut up about. Oh, wow. You found another way to bring in uh, Harley Quinn I Breaking sure Glass. did. You know, <laughs> you know it. Um, they are just such an iconic duo. And I, she even commented like how special it is to be ending this like really amazing run that she never thought she'd be able to do with someone that she had created something with before. So please check that out. And of course, that's going to be on next week's comic book list because I'm going to mention what? Harley Quinn Breaking Glass? Yup. 
The presenting sponsor of Masters of the Obvious is us. Producing a podcast is expensive, but you can keep this stellar envoy making runs in 12 parsecs. MastersoftheObvious.com has all your Motopod merch needs. Need the perfect present for that nerdy person in your life? Is that person you? Well, we have the perfect place for you. MastersoftheObvious.com. Buy merch, be a hero to these needy nerds. We have Max Bemis on the podcast today. He really needs no introduction, but just to list a few things, he's the lead singer of Say Anything and other music projects like Perma with his wife, Sherry, Two Tongues with other emo alum from Saves the Day, a talented comic book writer, notably of Moon Knight, and a really adorable dad. Welcome to the show, Max. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. Me too. I'm stoked. I've been on a real podcast binge, so this is this is good. Yay! And uh, again, I'm I'm preparing to do my own, so it's uh, yeah. You're good and primed. Yeah, I want to be as primed as possible. I want to begin this interview by nerding out. I mentioned sure, to please. you earlier when we were texting that I had Jeff, one of your bandmates from Say Anything, over a while ago. Yeah, and we got to talking about comics, and he mentioned that when you used to tour. Um, yes. he had a bunch of them on the bus and it really sparked oh, God, yeah. his own interest in them as well. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. He was one of the people who in the band who really like, there's a few dudes in the band who, who kind of took it on, uh, because I had it constantly around and just because it, it was becoming such a big part of the lexicon at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I was probably the best person to, at that point to talk to who had like an obsessive knowledge of it. And there were tons around. I mean, we would have to uh, fill up the, you know, there are these things called the bay, which is the bay of the bus where it's like, you know, usually it's people's like suitcases and equipment and stuff like that. But I would like Bogart the entire day (laughs) by filling it with these boxes of graphic novels because I didn't do single issues at that time. It was just graphic novel for physical stuff. And then I I sold them all and now I'm all digital, um, which... Yeah. Well, floppies don't travel <laughs> well. Was, they don't. And in general, they just like, I've never really been a floppy person. That sounds <laughs> weird, but I've never, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously I loved as a kid going to the comic store and getting like, you know, and I, I, uh, I remember like subscribing to X-Men through the Marvel, like whatever service, but at at some point, I just love the feel of a, of a graphic novel for physical stuff yeah. or a trade or a big hardcovers were my thing. Like I had every, I mean, there was a point where I was buying every notable semi good trade that came out every week. And it was like, because, you know, we were spoiled by, you know, signing to a major label around the time of like, you know, when they would give indie bands a big chunk of money to to sign. And uh, I literally just blew it all on, on a gigantic comics collection. I did no regrets either because it like saved my life in many ways. So and changed my life. I totally feel that. I almost feel back to floppies. <laughs> I like that yeah. term. Back to the floppies. I don't feel responsible enough to own them now. As a kid, I had more yeah. time. I could put them in the sleeves and the card. Now yes. I have children. Oh, God. I can't yeah. trust yes. those around them. <laughs> I think if I, it's also generational. You know what I mean? People who are like maybe five to 10 years older than me who are serious like geeks, 
I think it's so innately a part of it. Like these mm-hmm. are the same people who just like cannot not go to the comic shop, buy something. And it's so it's like the bread and butter right now of comics because, you know, like it, we're only starting to transition into, you know, to, to competing with the um, futurism of stuff like TV and, totally. and you know, movies. Uh, so I get it. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, it's its own thing. It's such a, uh, uh, um, you know, yeah, I get it completely. It's just that I, it was, it was a short period of my life really. Cause I started collecting when I was like, you know, nine or 10 mm-hmm. up through maybe 14 or 15 even earlier stopped even earlier when I just became obsessed with music and then like was totally out of the game until my early twenties. And then I became re-obsessed, re-obsessed after I like quit drugs. (laughs) I was like, I need something. Uh, No, but really it was, it was a really cool thing because I walked into a comic store on impulse when I was recording in defense of the genre, which is our second album. Um, And I was going through a really hard time in my life. I mean, not, not, I mean, I'm known for having like hard times in my life. So it wasn't like I'm getting put in the mental hospital hard, but mm. it was like, you know, a tumultuous relationship and it was a lot of stress, you know, our sort of follow up to a big album. And I just randomly walked into a comic shop and I bought, uh, Punisher Max and the boys because Garth Ennis was like my favorite when I was a kid. Totally. You know, I read Preacher. It was huge when I was a kid. So I was like, what is he been doing? And I'm like, oh, he wrote the Punisher. Jesus, that's he's crazy. Back on and, it too, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He did uh, a series with Jason. who did Moon Knight, and is one of my favorite artists. And it's just as good as it was way back in the in the day. Because those are, you know, I know they're controversial, but I back his run on on Punisher completely, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite comics of all time. Absolutely, I feel like it did. Yeah. Um, for Punisher, what Dark Knight did for Batman. Exactly. I think people who, you know, so you'll bring them up to people and they're like, because he's my favorite superhero and people find that weird, mm-hmm. you know, especially in this day and age, you know uh, what I mean? Like black the misappropriation of it. I'm like, I love, yeah, I love the Punisher. Yeah, it's, but it is a misappropriation. And, you know, even if you do all that even aside, beyond the fact that like, you know, shitty cops are using it as a badge of racism you know it's like people don't get that he he uh he isn't happy um and that he's just a tragic he's a good guy who's like destroyed by trauma and how fucked up the world is and i see myself in him a lot in terms of like i have high ideals about you know utopian stuff and and you know socialism and stuff but if someone fucked with my family like oh. i would lose my mind Absolutely. i don't know what i would do you know i would get into i hate guns but i would just turn into the punisher i think honestly so uh you know he's an example of someone who is just you know so i think you know people miss that and they think he's just loving it he's just like yeah no he's like coldly like this is what i have to do this so i'm gonna find some joy in it but you know I might have found my comic soulmate because as a kid, the Punisher was yes. my favorite, and because he was an anti-hero. Yeah. And even Conway, he spoke out. I don't know how many times <sighs> now because of you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, blue line people misappropriating it. And he said that most of the fans yeah. that come to him are people of color or my you know minorities yeah. or someone who is oppressed Huge. because they understand and they're yeah. upset with the system. Exactly. It's. I mean, I think 
just like, you know, well, not really like Batman because Batman's more like, I'm a badass, but anyone who's like, <laughs> yeah, he's a billionaire and it's like, he's such a hero figure. Whereas Punisher is like scorned even by the superhero community. Absolutely. So anyone who like put, even the like hillbillies who put it on their car, if they're not racist, like, I mean, just like blue collar people who are like, I like the fucking Punisher and they're going to get a tattoo of the Punisher. It's because everyone's just angry. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean I want to go around gunning down, you know, pickpockets. It just, it just means cool like fuck the world. Yeah, and it's awesome. He's just cool. What are you going to do? Come it's on. marketable. <laughs> Give him a break. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Punisher and then you said X-Men was an early influence as well. X-Men was probably the first book that I read monthly. Um you know, I, I read tons of stuff growing up. I mean, all of it, but like the first ongoing superhero, you know, major thing that I followed was like X-Men in the nineties or late nineties. I guess it was mid nineties when it was like Joseph Magneto with the long hair mm-hmm. and like Wolverine's claws turned Daddy into Magneto. And it was <laughs> Yeah. Daddy Magneto. Uh, exactly. Um, so it was a bit, I found it to be a really cool time to, to get into comics because it was, you know, it was still like it, enough. It wasn't like highbrow yet mm-hmm. in the superhero world, but it was like people were taking chances because of Superman getting killed, I think. And that was another that was thing wild. that happened, you know, during my era. And like, you really believed it because that was the first time they did it to someone major. And you're like, yeah, the black these covers. <laughs> well, it's like a thing yeah, now. Like, it's real. I'm sad. It's a thing like, now. Yeah, now yeah. it's like a joke. It's a joke. You know, in every superhero movie, they're like, hey, it'll come back. It's fine. Yeah. But uh, at the time, I really believed it. So I think everyone was trying to, even beyond like everything becoming dark because of, you know, Dark Knight and stuff. Um, uh, I think it was just like, we need to mess around with the formula because it's becoming like a joke at this Feel point. Stale. People like think comic. Yes. So um, what was your big draw to comics as a child? Like what really resonated with you? Um, well, it, I, you know, it was the mix of like outsider and then morality. I think that spoke to me where it's like, I've always had a strong sort of moral draw and wanting to right wrongs and just seeing so much injustice in the world. It's still the way I am. Like I can't take when people are hurt or taken for granted or just seeing someone set, even if it's like in a room full of people, like if Lex Luthor felt awkward because he was being grandiose and like people are looking around the room, like, Oh, that guy. Whoa. Like I would feel bad for Lex Luthor. Like I'm that, I, I have sympathy for the devil, so to speak. So the fact that that these people made it their jobs, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to be a superhero. And in a way, like, I don't think it's some kind of weird, stupid, like, Freudian thing, the way Alan Moore, even though I love Alan Moore, I have a tattoo of Alan Moore. But, um, you know, I think the implication that it's or Scorsese, where they're just like, it's just like this daydream. It's like of, fantasy. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that. Yeah, yeah. but people do things like that every day and we all do do things like that every day um just by taking the time to, to help people it's an act of that it's catharsis. So I, yeah and it's it's just it's i mean the only thing that separates them from certain real people is the fact that they have powers and wear tights it's like mm-hmm. you know the, the, the that level of taking risks for the greater good is something we should all strive to so anyway that spoke to me 
And then just the edginess of that. Most of these characters were also sort of outcasts, even like Superman, mm-hmm. uh, the ultimate outcast, you know? So, um, yeah. That's really cool. Um, so you've had such a successful career in music for so long. Um, when you. did you start shifting more towards comics and writing? Um, well, honestly, uh, you know, they were, well, for a long time, I had stopped listening to music obsessively and was reading comics obsessively, obsessively. Like music is, you know, a part of me. I can never stop being into music, but to some degree when the politics and you're seeing kind of some of your heroes like get ruined by being assholes and the whole thing of it had lost some of its, um, it'll never lose the essential uh, magic of what's real in it. That is really magical. And that's what I love about music. But I had gotten past the point of being starstruck, which I was, you know, in my teens um, and wanting nothing more than to be on tour and stuff. So like, it was around that time I was just describing, you know, um, having finally gotten what I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, my, my biggest aspiration, not really, I've always, you know, I wanted to be like fucking Bono at one point, but like, <laughs> you know, as a kid, the reason I started doing music was to like play with saves a day, like once, mm-hmm. you know, and then now I'm in a band with him at that point, And he's one of my best friends. I'm like, you know, I've kind of done this the way. Like I, I wanted to keep going and that was a whole other existential thing about, you know, the, the purpose of saying anything and the commercial success and all that stuff. But it felt like a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and I was enamored with the challenge. And I still am kind of in that honeymoon period, honestly, where there's so many things yet to do with comics that I haven't done. Whereas in music, um, there's still tons of things to be done, but I don't feel I don't sit around daydreaming about being Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I sit around daydreaming about being Graham Morrison. So it's like, that's the difference. Once it shifted into that, I would say that's when it really changed. And then obviously when I sort of broke up, say anything, um, it was a conscious decision to keep doing music, but to to not define myself as the guy from saying, even though I always will Mm -hmm. be maybe, um, to not define myself in my own mind as the guy from Say Anything. It was like a how I live my life. It was not just like the title because it was a completely arbitrary thing in terms of a title because Say Anything is me, basically. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a spiritual uh, surrender to a, a new era in my life. You know, it was a bit a crazy time in my life too. So. Did it coincide at all with parenthood for you? Yeah, um, of course. I mean, that was probably the catalyst towards realizing that my priorities were a bit out of whack and not really bad. I had never like gone to the dark side, so to speak. But, um, you know, like even when I, like, let's say I was first married to Sherry, like we were completely obsessed with each other and still are, but like that allows you to still have the space and time in your head to have all the aspirations. That's why some people don't have kids, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're like, I want to make my job, my life. I get it. You know, it's like, but I didn't want that. And so as soon as they came into this world, I mean, clearly just the love you feel for them changes your priorities and, um, you know, the life of touring and, and being away from them, that was the first thing to go. And we just started bringing them all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it, it wasn't so much not being able to see them because we're very lucky enough to be both creative professionals and we get to, you know, be with our kids all day. But, uh, it was 
just what it was doing to my frame of mind. Uh, so yeah, they were the catalyst though. I mean, Charlie specifically was the one that broke me. Um, where I the was third like, one does that. Yeah, it broke me hard. And uh, I was like, I can't, I can't keep living this way. You know, there were certain really unhealthy behaviors I was indulging in. Mm. Um, and it wasn't even so much like, uh, like a specific thing. I've never been like a, to my knowledge, like an actual addict of anything, but what, even even fucking with certain things or screwing. I'm sorry. No, I don't this know is a very to... curse word. Okay. My podcast. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah. Even even messing with anything that I know is totally has the potential. Not even the not the potential, but probably is going to derail me. Like at least I think about it a lot and hate myself at this point. You know what I mean? Like. At that point, I'm just like, it's okay, I'll live forever and whatever. But then, you know, at, at that point, I was just like, shit, this is real now. Like, you know, this kid is a little dude and you don't want to, you know, I never would have imagined myself being the person to not prioritize mm-hmm. having kids. And, and also having daughters is arguably a little bit easier for dads because, you know, they are just come out kind of forgiving their dad for everything. Um, and Charlie didn't give a shit. So he was, I was just like, this is a test and, uh, he's amazing, but it was a test. So, so that was when I'm just like, okay, I either have to be strong enough to deal with this or fully not give a fuck. And I can't, I'm not built to not give a fuck, you know, about the kids, obviously. So I don't mean to attach too much to gender, but I totally agree with you about yeah, boys. Of course. Cause they're like honey yeah. badgers. They're like, we don't give a yes. fuck. Fuck your plans. It's really crazy. <laughs> yes. It's a real thing. Just, just biologically off the bat. You I know couldn't what I mean? even like, nurse him. He's like, I don't fucking care what you've done for five years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a complete, I mean, and it's, yeah. And it's very, you know, I also am obviously like very, I question the notion of gender all the time. And, mm-hmm. But you know, anyone, I imagine someone who's non-binary or trans would be able to acknowledge the hormonal realities of being right. born either sex, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and I think that is one thing that it's less to do with gender roles common. and more with hormones. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so I think that that's, yeah, I think that's a safe, uh, a- accurate thing is that little dudes are pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're nuts. You know? Literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> yes. Seriously. Let's talk about your work specifically. Sure. Comics. Um, and this is literally, the timeline of me reading them. I started Great. with Polarity, which came out in 2013, wow, cool. right? Yes. Um, yeah, that sounds right. I think I even texted wow. you this. It reminded me a lot of The Sculptor by Scott McCloud because it had... Which like, I really want to read. It was one of those books that I bought and it was in my collection and I never got to read it. Yeah. So I will definitely it, seek it out. It's very sardonic about like displaying a lot of the east coast culture like Pratt brats and that kind of stuff so i saw that in the beginning of polarity and then a little bit of donnie dargo like wow that's a cool comparison i see that and and then you know we already talked about garth ennis but it really brought a little bit of the boys into it and you can see the influence of that yeah oh yeah i want to reread it now actually it's uh because they're that's the second I haven't read the mini series that they're doing right now. Yeah. And I want to like reread. I always reread the whole thing when they like end. It's so good. And 
two things I really liked about it. It was new. It felt, even though it reminded me of those things, it felt fresh and it was fun to read. And I'm read a ton of comics and it's kind of hard for me to be surprised by anything. Oh, cool. Wow. Thank you. That means a lot. Well, th- oh yeah. I'm glad it does. <laughs> um, yeah. I really like that Sherry did a variant cover for issue one. Yep. I have one of her pieces from the Kickstarter and I love it. Love her style. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And the Polarity EP, like the Companion EP. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that either. That's really cool. Um, this yep. isn't just meant to Thank butter you. you up. I just... No, I mean, I, I forgot about the Polarity EP. These are like, honestly, um, so much of my career is just nestled in a subconscious place that I never think of. So... I honestly am really thankful and interested when I hear about these things that kind of, I don't, and I just live the, I'm the kind of person who finds it really surreal that this stuff has a large audience or that, mm-hmm. you know, to, like, like to you, that book is the same as some important or good book that I love where I would dork out on, you know, some poor comic writer dude. And he'd be like, what? I'm just like some guy. But like, you know, it's how we all feel. You know what I mean? I personally find it really cool. Like I've never, um, I, I like when people quote unquote dork out on me because I'm, I'm interested in seeing, I've always been, uh, the kind of artist who plays off and enjoys how the art, the, the audience plays into the art, mm-hmm. you know, so, so knowing that you got it that or, or any of that always is a inspiring for making me continue to do it, you know, because that's the kind of stuff I want to happen. And that was your, was that your first foray? Like first official foray? That's a, that yeah, blows I've my mind. Yeah, i never done anything. That blows my Thank mind. You. It felt very well seasoned. You felt like a, a seasoned writer. And then also it was with Boom Studios, right? It was with Boom and they were, uh, it was, yeah, there's so many crazy stories about the sort of circuitous and spiritual, like craziness of how it all connected. But, you know, it would be like, I remember I, you know, I would again buy every graphic novel. So I was like, who's this new comic publisher? Boom. And I saw them in like a, a comic store in New York. And at the time they were, had all the little tiny graphic novels. They were doing those little mm-hmm. like book size graphic novels. And I bought like 30 boom graphic novels. And then um, before I had even talked to them, it would, but then not shortly after, I don't even remember. It probably was a cold email to boom through my manager at the time. Cause I had had like a, one or two unsuccessful meetings all before writing a page of comics about the idea of writing comics. And I was selling the idea that became heavy, which is now what I'm working on now. So that Boom. was my first comic idea. We're definitely going to talk um, about, about that in a little bit. Yeah. Boom Studios always makes my roundup every week. I really like what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and then I, I followed that up with Moon Knight. Um, I cool. just read the first volume, uh, Crazy Runs in the Family. And awesome. I'm sure you've heard a million people draw the parallels between yourself and yeah. Mark Spector. But I think you did yeah. a really good <laughs> job navigating that, especially like you said, you're a Grant Morrison fan who's also dealt with yes. DID with the character. And I thought it was done really yeah. artfully. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's my dude. You know, he's the, he's the ultimate person. I have met him and he was a complete gentleman and I gave him polarity. And I'm sure we run in such similar circles that at this point, I'm sure he may, may know who I am, but he's the ultimate person who, if I actually were to develop any kind of like 
communication with. If he turned out to be an asshole, it would like wound me in the same way as like my dad turning out to be an asshole. Like who he's not, I've never had that experience, but like I would have paternal, you know, the same things we always have with our, our parents, even though I would, I would be like, no, because that's happened to me about 20 times. You'd you rip know, his posters off like, your wall and scratch his yeah, name out of your trapper exactly. keeper. And, and I'm forgiving. No one's perfect. Yeah. But like if he turned out to be like a, a monster, it would definitely like, because I like found God again through the invisible. So that would be a, that would be a weird experience <laughs> to, to be like, oh. The really, yeah. I found some really fun Easter eggs in this. And I know people already talk about how Lucy makes an appearance or at least in some yes. form as um, his daughter. Yeah. And yes, uh, Molly just informed me that the name came from a creepy doll that Lucy had. Yeah, she named it Diatrice out of nowhere. She was probably four or five at the time. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, Diatrice. Here it you is. Know, so who knows? Maybe that name will now exist in the popular lexicon and it will be especially if they use it in a TV show, which God knows that would be the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's, I'm like, I am cautiously excited about the TV show. Yeah. I'm excited straight up. I mean, it would be a really, um, you know, we'll talk about it, but like that property is a, it would have already been near and dear to my heart because I'm a big fan and it being kind of like the biggest thing I've gotten to work on so far, but I had such an insane experience making the comic. It was a, one of the defining weird times in my life, like in a good and bad way mm-hmm. that like seeing it would give me both like, no matter what they did, it would be awesome. And it would also give me some element of PTSD. I feel <laughs> so, you. so it's like, it, you know, it's like freaking watching your kid in a play, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause I really let that dude into my heart and vice versa. So, um, you know, obviously, I don't want them to do something like, you know, I don't know. I finally get what it's like when, like, they kill off a character that you, that you love. created. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, get over it. You knew it was going to happen. But, and I do know it's going to happen. Like, Dietrich is going to get shot. I tell you that much. Because they're going re- <laughs> to reboot the shit out of Moon Knight. They're going to wanes her, for sure. To. And they don't want him to have a family when that shit starts. Yeah. So I, I'm expecting like something to happen to them. Well, that's and like the I'm classic Disney beginning. <laughs> like they can't have any parents. They can't have right. anything. I mean, I, I think it would be even more. I think if it was something that happened, you know, four seasons in, it would be an interesting thing to elevate it from just being a tortured anti-hero. It's like, how does he maintain his shit? That would be like a daughter in refrigerator, not even women. <laughs> Exactly. And that's dark. Yeah. <laughs> Little girl in a refrigerator. Oh, we're both parents and I just it's made that cool. reference. So I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that would be dark for them yeah. to pull that move when they're willing to sacrifice like a fucking five-year-old girl. <laughs> Yikes. That's serious. Refrigerator. Um, I, one of my favorite comic book characters, and I used to get made fun of it so much when I was younger, is Dazzler. Yes. There's a Dazzler yes. reference in it. There is. And, and that is because I was becoming friends with Magdalene Visaggio when I was writing that comic. And she, I think both, she may have done one or two things for Marvel, but the main thing she was doing at that point was writing a Dazzler miniseries. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was inserting everything from my life into the comic, which we can talk about. But it was, you know, that was literally not just, uh, 
not just because Dazzler's awesome, but because like, you know, um, it was that that was part of it was just that Magdalene, you know, had been working on the book. Well, there was a good parallel between Carrie per- Katy Perry and her, which when you think about it, exactly. Dazzler is a corporate shill, at least her she beginning is... was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and I love Katy Perry, too. I mean, if I was a little girl, I'd be way into Katy Perry. If I was a little boy, I'd be even more into Katy Perry. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think my favorite part of this um, trade back was the quote, you're not profound. You're a linkless Wikipedia reference waiting to happen. Nice. Oh, is that, Moon Knight is that, said is he saying that. it to Sun King or something? He didn't right? say it to Ra. He, he said it to the lesser villain. I'm trying to, the drug dealer. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Which, yeah. It's really weird. I, um, I don't remember most things I write. It's crazy. Like even, like I'll get sent the, the the comps of uh you know like heavy number two or whatever, and we're on issue seven right now writing it. So I don't remember, and I feel like a huge douche because a lot of it, um, when there's a funny part, I'll laugh out loud, and that's so wrong. But like I I I write for my own sense of humor, and I try to make myself laugh. So. Um, occasionally I'll pick up like an old comic I wrote, but I, it's hard to read them kind of listening to my old music, obviously. Uh, but I'll make myself do it. And then I find that I really enjoy it. And the ones that are meant to be funny, like definitely get me because it would just be like jokes you made to your friend that you'd also laugh as you say them. So like I read full killer again and I was like today actually, and I was like kind of LOL. I read it. And it was like, I definitely didn't remember that or the line you just spoke. Like, I'm like, well, that's good. you know. To mention that line was a good tie-in too, because I didn't confirm this, but I heard that you had some issues with critics. Did you write yeah. one of them into the series? No, they were actually, the people I wrote into the series were awesome. They were um, this, this podcast called Into the Night with a K. And they were like the only Moon at the time Moon Night podcast. And I had been becoming friends with them and I did their podcast. So I put them into the comic. So, uh, but half my life is putting people who disagree with me into bad positions in my art. So I'm sure they're in there. <laughs> I caught the, the, the pitchfork writer in um, Polarity. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, pitchfork gets it all the time. <laughs> you can't, it's it's low hanging fruit. So. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but I will say, and this is, we'll end up probably editing this out, but to you personally, yeah. I wanted to say. Yeah, I, by the way, I'm an open book. So like, seriously. I wanted to say yeah, you don't probably have to edit it was out. a total tonal shift to go from polarity to Moon Knight. And I know from, you know, people that I know that work for Marvel, that there's certain things they have to do. There's uh, continuity things. And then the art has yes. to be a certain way, but it was such a tonal shift for me. And it kind of reminded yeah. me, even though I loved what you did with the series, yeah. it reminded me why I haven't been reading as many caped books anymore. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You definitely have to. Um, that's why t- when you get to the second volume, which I do think you should read, mm-hmm it goes fucking bonkers. And that's, um, that's why, uh, you know, I actually had some issues with Marvel. I mean, I love Marvel, you know, they really had faith in me, especially the people I specifically work with at Marvel, Mm -hmm. but there was a sort of 
awkward time between me and Marvel. And it was because I was losing it while writing the second half of that series. I don't think they used to say, work with people like that. No, it's, it will all get to that. But, um, but I will say that that was the, the issue was that totally, I went full weird on this. I just was, I, and I knew it's what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be one of those comics that, you know, can pull in the average reader and then gets weirder and weirder and weirder and more esoteric as it goes along in which it completely did over the course of like 12 issues. So, um, yeah, the more, the more and more I did it. And it's cool because honestly, I really think Marvel let me do that more than they did it. And they were great about that. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know if I, I think I got lucky with the the shit that they let me do and all the stuff I did at Marvel. And Marvel tends to be pretty open-minded. Um, I've not done much work with DC. They seem great too, but uh, in terms of editorial, but uh, it, I really think things were getting weird politically in the world. Mm-hmm. It was like the dark specter. Oh God, specter of of sort of Trump looming, and um, you know things were just so weird that everyone was really sensitive about everything from political to to, to just you know because we got attacked by the alt right for the book, and you know it was like. Oh, wow. You know, there was, yeah, stuff like that. So it was just like, there was too much focus, I think probably for on everyone, but especially me being like a punk rock guy writing a superhero Wait, comic and making it weird. That was during <laughs> Comics Gate, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, shortly, I, I'm really lucky because I have such a thing outside of comics that I... They didn't focus on me as much because I wasn't as good. I wasn't as good of a target because like they'd get blown out of the water by all my followers being like, shut the fuck up. But like still, I was on the list of like shitty people that you shouldn't work with in the industry because I made a comment about like, um, I saw some people responding to one of it. And it was the funny thing was it was actually a positive comment from an alt right person or like, Oh, this is kind of an intriguing idea. Like, is he a SJW? And um, is it like as if to say, if I am, then they shouldn't support it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you're looking for affirmation of SJW, then like eat my ass or something on Twitter. And then it was that's the bad thing I did where they went full on, they hated it. Um, they're like, how do you talk to the audience or your, your consumer audience? Don't you even know how to interact? I'm like. Okay, whatever. It's, and uh, and I got in a little bit of trouble for that, but that seems like that kind of stuff happens all the time in comics. Um, and it, I don't even. That's so dumb. I don't. I can't even begin to talk about it. So the takeaway that I got from Crazy Runs in the Family was it ultimately yes. a criticism of like a dogmatic ideology. Yes, well, of course. You know, and you have to you have to inject it. But I, I think something like creating art and speaking out against misogyny or homophobia through art. That's great. You know, it's like, or or let's say you're communicating what you feel through social media. You know, I'm proud of this about myself. And again, like this isn't telling people what to do. It's just what I wish the world was like in my own selfish way. It's just that it was more like every, as long as we aren't hurting each other, let's be proud of what we are literally if it's not hurting people though, because you Mm -hmm. can't be proud of being racist like that innately is hurting someone. But at the same time, like ganging up on a member of the family, who's not, who hasn't even thought of, you know, um, like for instance, you know, I, I, I'm 
openly queer, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I don't, I know that everyone in Sherry's family are at different levels of, of religiousness. You know, Mm -hmm. like there are some who are full on out there liberals there are some who are like conservative, but no one has ever been weird to me about it. Though I have talked about it when it came up naturally, because I don't believe it deserves assessment in that way, nor should I be assessing their reaction to it. It's like, you know, if you have an inner bias, just hanging out with me will inform or deny that bias. You know what I mean? I don't need to sit here and tell you, Hey, unless whatever, right. Cause it's a comment genuine. Maybe it's just cause I have a high, it's, it's not even a good quality. Like I just have a very high tolerance for ignorance sometimes where I'm just mm-hmm. like, everyone's ignorant. You know, we're all so dumb. And if we take the time to, to, uh, just criticize everything that we're all saying. So, but, but as you're saying, yeah, um, Moon Knight is, you know, very glaringly against the patriarchy and against systems of, um, you know, Dogma society and, that are, yeah, 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 exactly. Fake God, you know, is, is very much so, uh, even discussed in the book. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a very spiritual person. I, I choose to identify what I believe in as God, but even then, like, you know, there are the things that probably you or anyone who knows me or anyone who even sees me on the street would be like, oh, yeah, that guy's probably like a lefty mm-hmm. feminist pussy. It's like, yeah, that's me Pussies right there. You know, so cool. all, all I'm at, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you. But it's like, I, I, you know, that's, you know, whatever. That's what I, you know, that's why I write punk rock songs, yeah. you know, but and, but it, in going back to what we were talking about, it's like I never met Moon Knight to cause harm to anyone. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if they didn't like it, they didn't have to read it. But even innately, it's a humanistic view that I didn't want to alienate anyone. I think that, you know, part of that dogmatic system that it's rebelling, uh, that I'm trying to rebel against throughout my entire life, you know, with varying results, um, it's, it does produce the opposite reaction, which is something that I've addressed a lot and say anything with like admit it. It's like the, the people, um, that are kind of the the subject of admit it are on the opposite side of that. You know, they're, they're fighting the patriarchy, but they're not, they're just a product of the patriarchy. That's sort of eating itself, you know, and we can all be like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's also a message that I try to put out there, which is I'm no better than anyone, but I, I'm, I'm more annoyed by the byproduct of when nice people who aren't racist, who are learning really, who are what learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, when those people act like dicks, to me, that's more offensive. It's probably just like coming from a small town where you're annoyed by the people in your town. Mm-hmm. Like I'm annoyed by the Sarah Lawrence uh, crowd more than I am by hillbillies. And I live, I choose to live in Texas. The Sarah like, I, Lawrence I crew had every opportunity to know and learn to do better. <laughs> exactly. And, and innate in the idea of fighting for, let's say, gender equality or racial equality should be a class equality, you know, and class has so much to do with our privilege of even knowing that these things are wrong and should be improved upon. And and like you said, letting the world have time to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a flip side of the same fucking Harvey Dent coin, really, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I finished my Max Bemis binge with Lucy Dreaming. Cool. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I actually gave it to Riot, my eldest, who's 11. I know. I'm so proud of yeah. that. And That's they so were cool. all about it. And I was proud because yeah. I feel like I almost, I introduced them to so many of the elements that you reference in it that they like, it clicked with them immediately. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And for any of our listeners who haven't heard of this book, it's basically about uh, a misunderstood girl and she can enter a dream world when she falls asleep and becomes different characters in the in the dream worlds. There's like a Star Wars plot line, a Hunger Games, a Buffy-esque werewolf, Steven Universe. All strong, strong, the, the quote unquote strong female uh, exactly. archetype, different, different kinds. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's all caused by a machine that her parents invented. But things that happen in these dream worlds have a real world consequence. Um, and it's very much female empowerment, but I think for, for my child who doesn't identify as a girl or a boy, it still struck a chord because essentially what it did was talk about toxic masculinity. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You know, a, a lot of my books are about that. Um, you know, partially because I hate it, partially because I recognize it in myself, you know, I, I, I view it, as a, you know, it's, it's both, there's a certain element of it that, you know, we were talking about that's like, it's so mild. The biological level of it is something that so easily overcome. Mm-hmm. And the really important part is the socially instilled toxic masculinity. Roles, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, exactly. So, so I mean, yeah. And it's always, I mean, people have been all those uh, genre pieces were kind of about toxic masculinity and just, it was not really a concept people really talked about that much at the time, but like Buffy, mm-hmm. Star Wars, you know, you got Anakin giving into his toxic shit. Um, you know, it's, 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 even if it wasn't um, a strong female character in the lead, uh, it's something that it's arguably one of the probably worst things going on ever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's led to, to years of rape and enslavement and war. Like how about, it's almost, you know, like, so we don't even know what a world dominated by like toxic femininity would even be like. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be bad too, you know, but we don't even know. There's not even been a chance to know. We just know that at this point it sucks. Like the way that it was built by dudes sucks. Just because I can't <laughs> help myself. And I know a lot of creators, I don't think you're like this, but I think a lot of creators don't necessarily like being yeah. compared to other things. But oh, no, I but, love it. Are you when I, okay, good. I um, Riot got yeah. Lumberjanes feels from it. Oh, cool. I That's an honor. saw it more as, um, it felt kind of Scotty Young, kind of like I Hate Fairyland, at least the colors. Yeah. And then it's yeah. very, oh, that's so cool. And the, of course, the censorship in it where <laughs> when someone cusses, yes. it gets censored. Yes. Felt very Scotty Young to me. Um, Easily. And then a little bit of like um, Brian O'Malley too, a little bit of Scott Pilgrim vibes yeah, to it. A big influence for sure. Yeah, I was just my manager um, is now managing me. He's the guy. He's it's really amazing. He's the guy who signed Say Anything to Sony uh-huh. when I was like 20 years old, and now he's managing me. Years later, we reconnect. I mean, he's always been a friend, but we reconnected professionally, and now he's managing me. And he's also doing my comic stuff. And he's kind of new to that world. So he's immersing himself in it. And he was like, but he said when he saw Scott Pilgrim, like he thought of me a lot. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh crap, someone did what I've been trying to do 
already. It's been done. I have that feeling all the time. Not all the time, but like there'll be certain times like Tyler, the creator, mm-hmm. like when he first came out, I'm like, oh, there he is. There's the dude. You just did, <laughs> he it. did it. I'm trying to do it. And he did it. Connor Oberst, I was remember being like 16 and hearing Bright Eyes for the first time. I'm like, okay. And then what it really does is make me like step up my game to some degree. So I have you read um, his other work, uh, Snot Girl? I've started it and I fell behind on it, but I loved it. It's, it was really funny. Especially Similar, like, for people who have like spent so much time on Instagram and have done the influencer thing. I, I was like, damn, this is harsh, but I, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's so harsh, but but she's such a likable character yeah. that it's like it speaks to the like the flawed. It's sort of like Scott Pilgrim in that sense, where he's such a like he. Everyone on his his friends and he think he's a dick bag, mm-hmm. but like when you read the book, you love him. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't come across as a dick bag. It's just like we're all kind of dick bags. You know, I think that's he's really probably like that guy super tuned in to what's going on, like trends exactly. and stuff like that. And I, you can see that in Lucy yes. Dreaming too, like how clued in you were about, it was, it was a Steven Universe reference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my kids watch it all the it's time. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, it, it, I like it because... I always joke to my kids because they call me a boomer sometimes. I'm like, I am fucking. That's hilarious. I'm a millennial. I love that that's a new thing. Yeah. I know, but I think it's now become an all, it's like it started out meaning like baby boomer and now it just means old, unhip person. Yeah. It's such a cool thing. I'm like, I, love I it. swear I'm cool. But the cool thing about <laughs> Lucy Dreaming is that it doesn't feel like it's written by what? Are you 37? 36? Yeah. 36, yeah, yep. and it doesn't feel like it's been written by a thirty-something-year-old man. Thank you. <laughs> I think I think at some point I'll be too aged to seem that way, but it's a strong point. Thank you. So that's again, like you know, those compliments really mean a lot because that's a thing I'm really intensely uh, try to do is talk like a person in the comics um, because sometimes in comics either people talk like 40 year old or 50 year old white people at all times mm-hmm. or there's an attempt to talk like young hit people and it's painful yeah you like know that, that um, was lit homie who can do it <laughs> yeah, exactly. but like i think i think you know you know your buddy fraction uh is and bendis those guys are really good at no at, i'm like, mad at bendis Spider-Man. he killed spider-man you think so? <laughs> I, no, I love Bendis Spider-Man. I no, love but Bendis I'm still so salty. I'm sorry. So that, yes. Oh, you mean because he actually killed An him? ultimate Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like he killed no, Spider-Man. Like, I didn't mean it. it like that. <laughs> no. I'm like, oh, this is where we diverge. No, no, guys. this is not um, where we diverge. No, no, no. <laughs> yes, I was bummed about that too. I was totally bummed about that. But then Miles might not have become such a thing. Yeah. And like right now, you know, like... He's a, such a refreshing thing in that I, I think, I mean, beyond needed. I'm still a Peter Parker person, mm-hmm. though. I mean, I, I love Miles, but I can't help but love Peter Parker more. Riot does have um, a note but, for you, though, with Lucy Dreaming. Yes. Oh, and not like it? the making out. Uh, of course. Of course. <laughs> they were not you a know, fan. We have to make, my thing is making people uncomfortable. So I have to make now like 12 year olds yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> you did <laughs> like, it. Um, yeah. I want to hear about what you're currently working on and what has been released currently. Yeah. uh, Heavy is the main focus right now. Comic wise. 
Um, you know, it's up to now, at least, I think, a definitive uh, work for me. Um, I'm so, I mean, I'm sure some people who like myself won't like it. It happens. But, you know, as it stands in my own mind, it expresses kind of the ideas that have been important to me for so long. And it's so personal and, and autobiographical in many senses that um, it touches on the, the toxic masculinity. Um, uh, queerness and um, the nature of good and evil, and it's not just like a you know a, a what's going on now hot button you know current topics comic. It's still uh, you know about love. It's a romantic story and it's a, um, a heartfelt story, and it's fucking fun because there's lots of killing and gross stuff and you know dark humor. So so it's basically as me as I can get. And I yeah. think, you know, some projects are more to stretch in myself. You know, Lucy Dreaming, for instance, was can I write for a younger audience? And, you know, and and it turned out very me as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, um, you know, Moon Knight was another one, Polarity, Evil Empire, maybe, where it was like, this is just the kind of the track of like the, the sort of cornerstones of what I'm doing. And so Heavy is definitely that. And then at the same time, I have this comic called Savage, which is um, a character at Valiant. When is Savage and Heavy coming out? Is there like a... Heavy is already out. I think it's on, it's on issue three just came out and it's it's going to be... Which you know, publisher? Around, um, Vaults. Okay. They're really cool. You did Sweet. their stuff. They're boom-ish, you know, progressive sci-fi mm-hmm. comics. Um, and uh, it's great. And then um, Savage is just going to start coming out, I think in the next couple months, but I'm so bad about knowing when my comics come out. I would Google that shit. Um, we'll put Savage. it on our comics roundup for sure. And you, you and your kids will like Savage. It's, it's another one that's geared towards it's, it's very much a snock girl ish type thing. It's about, um, you know, he was introduced to the Valiant universe as basically like, what if David Beckham and his wife were marooned on a desert Island um, with their kid and the kid, you know, the parents got whatever the kid is raised kind of like Mowgli, um, in the, the jungle oh, wow. of this alternate universe. And that was the first miniseries. And then mine is like totally completely different because he, at the, you know, not to spoil the first series, but you're going to know, uh, because of my book being out there is he comes back. That was the end of the last one. It's like, you know, literally what's going to happen to him now in my book. When we meet him, he's become like a social media star. Because, you know, he can do weird tricks and like he's a little monkey boy and stuff and Mm -hmm. like bounces off of things. Um, and he hates it because he, you know, had this amazing life of like fighting beasts. He's like really like a Wolverine, salty little Wolverine, rude little dude, teenager. Um, so it's all about how he adapts to being back in the real world. Obviously it's an adventure. It's definitely like a YA. Like a little bit PG thirteen maybe, but it's middle grade it's funny. kind of. Yeah, it's it's yeah. funny though. It's it's Lucy dreaming maybe with a little bit more. I don't know. Add a little, a little spice. Dark. Yeah, a little darker. I don't know. I'm gonna put a nice little bow on this interview. Sure. I hate to. This has been so much fun. No, it's great. Um, 
So here we are in the present. We've talked about your past works and the beginnings yeah. of your your childhood and that kind of stuff. But yeah. we're in the present and the present is scary, especially for musicians and creatives. But yeah. I've noticed that you've learned how to adapt and evolve to different climates, um, whether it be your song shop. Thanks. Um, which was kind of no, yeah, that, that a works, response sure. to the record industry crash. Yeah. And then your Kickstarter. Thank you. That's so um, insightful. Yeah. I, we're going to keep seeing an ever-evolving Max Bemis and Bemis family. What can we expect from all yeah. of you in the future? Um, well, I mean, on a sort of uh, uh, visceral uh, you know, level... Uh, and speaking for myself, you know, it's really cool to do this podcast right now because and talk about a lot of these subjects because um, I'm basically, you know, if I were to start talking about it, I couldn't even describe it really. But right now I'm kind of consolidating my, I hate brand, I hate the term brand, brand into kind of like one thing where someone like you, who thankfully is a fan of multiple things that I do, um, you know, can kind of take in all those things at the same time and understand the purpose of why I create and kind of the cause of what I'm trying to do, uh, you know, with, with, um, mental health and kind of just uh, empathy and stuff like that and creativity. And so there's going to be a literal sort of fusion of all of it into one accessible place. So if you're like, Hey, you should check out this guy's stuff. It's like a, you know, it's, it's everything. It's like one brand mm-hmm. and it's not just, Max Venus. So, so I'm going to be doing that. And, you know, Sherry, you know, is like, has just as much potential and is such a boss. So, you know, she's had to put a lot of stuff on hold to just be mm-hmm. a mom, you know, and you know, I wish I, I obviously, I obviously have toxic amounts of guilt because it's like, why wasn't I putting everything on hold to be a dad? But it just came out that way. I don't think it was a gender thing. I think it was where we ended up at certain points in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it really had less to do with like her making babies and more just where that person was at, at the time. Um, and so there's so many things she can do and that we could like thankfully do together and as a family. So I would say, I hope that in the future, it's less about how do we exist and more about sharing it with other people and thriving. Cause like you said, it's a terrible time. Um, and I, we've been blessed to, to not have it as bad as a lot of people. And there are times where I actually am enjoying the, the isolation and all that stuff, but sometimes I want to lose it. So it's like, you know, I, I would hope that, that the world and we are just kind of moving forward and creating a lot and actualizing instead of just kind of sitting around and trying to fix, which we should be right now. But like, you know, I'm sure you're similar. It's obvious you are where a lot of what we're doing right now is just questioning life. Mm-hmm. I'm about to put out an EP um, this year or next year. And it's like the music that I'm making that's not under the label of say anything is a lot less about just hating your skin and hating society. There's something about hating society, but it's more of a triumphant thing. And it's like, I'm kind of getting over, uh, even though I feel tons of complainingness in my mind, like I don't want to put too much of it out there in the world. Uh, not, not that I would criticize myself for it, but like, you know, I would love to see the world be more positive and, and try to 
change, um, not in the ways even that we think we need to, because right now we're like, how do we change? This is how we have to change. No, this is how we have to change. We have to change. We're all dying. Like, I just want to be at the point where it's like, okay, it's happening now. Now we're doing this. Like, if Black Lives Matter, it's not just Black Lives Matter. It's like, they matter now. Now what? How do we do? You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do now <laughs> with that information? You know, um, so that would be what I hope in the future. Yeah. So much time. I mean, we, <laughs> we're all at home. Hopefully, we're all at home. And we're really reexamining our place in the world. And unfortunately, for a lot of us, you know, there is financial insecurity. So, so much of our oh, yeah. self-worth is... And for us too, I have no no problem saying yeah. that. You know, part of what you said about adapting is because we've gone through terrible financial times. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're not, uh, we try to be smart with money, but it's hard. You have four kids, you know, four kids and, and we're not, we don't like to not exist. You know what I mean? Like I need to buy a video game occasionally. So it's like, I think you couldn't, uh, you know, I was, uh, someone was saying on some podcast where it's like, if you were a billionaire right now, you'd probably still be like, what the fuck am I going to do? You know what I Everything's mean? It's, like, di- it's a whole, like no one has a rule book for what the fuck 2020 handed us or what 2021 is going to hand us. Exactly. Exactly. So I am super excited to watch. I have so much love and admiration for you and Sherry and your kids, these beautiful, autonomous, vibrant little souls that are your kids. Yours are amazing too. We're fans of yours. We're just buttering each other up. It's a real dairy farm. No, it's true. Buttering is good. (laughs) It's like we need to butter each other up in the same. But I really can't wait to see what magic y'all will continue to make in the future. And I wanted to thank Thank you you for taking your time um, and having this fun conversation with me. Of course, we should do it again. It was a blast. We did it. Thank you so much to our guest, Max Bemis. What a fucking delight. Check out our website, mastersoftheobvious.com for new episodes, news, and merch. Our Instagram at Masters of the Obvious, Facebook at Masters of the Obvious, and Twitter at Masters of the O. And if you'd like to be a patron of our show, you can go to contribute dot masters of the obvious.com and if you'd like we'll even mention you on the show but if you want to remain anonymous we understand we don't want to be associated with us either please don't forget to leave a glowing review on apple podcasts and to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on thank you for listening and we love you like a lot But you can keep this stellar envoy making 12 fucking balls.